As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hear that podcast growling, mean and angry, hear that local shouting, it's Dainer and Jay, it's Dainer and Welcome to the latest edition to hear that podcast growl. I'm Paul Andrew Jr. and Jay Morrison of The Athletic. Excited to be with you on a Thursday. Boo week, Jay. Yes. Battle of Ohio is upon us. It, it's kind of crazy. It's it. I always say this this rivalry, it always seems like the the underdog wins more often than not. And it's that's certainly continued. I mean, you you look at how good the Bengals have been the last two years, at least, and just can't find a way to beat this Browns team. It just, it, it's kind of head scratching. Mystifyingstreaks.com. Uh, you can, you <laughs> can look this up and what has happened lately with the Browns and the Bengals would show up there. Um, we've got a lot to get into about uh, this weekend's boo at Paycor. So uh, we're, but we've got, we got guests. Jay, yes, this is good work. We're, we're going to be guest heavy because you know what people have gotten a lot of this week listening to us talk. Okay, <laughs> you know, you throw in the live room, a longer walkout, uh, a nice long Tuesday show. Um, we do our radio hits uh, across the stations around here, and it's just it's a lot of us. It's just a it lot is. of us. Uh, and there's a lot of people saying really interesting things that are relevant to Sunday, that are relevant to this team. So we thought we would bring some of them in. Uh, Nate Tice is going to join us on today's episode. Had a conversation with him. Uh, I have talked about the Athletic Football Show a ton lately and about how they have just become basically uh, an extension of HTPG at this point. They keep opening with these long 20-minute monologues about the Bengals. Mm-hmm. Nate is... um. Nate took a lot of fire last year for questioning the sustainability of what the Bengals were doing on their run to the Super Bowl. And he's like, and now it's the exact opposite, you know, and now all the Bengals fans that have been in his mentions yelling and then are loving uh, his point, him pointing out uh, how much they have created some sustainability. And he's kind of repeatedly called this his favorite team to watch. And he just loves how they have um, kind of evolved over the course of the season. So I wanted to talk to him about that. It was fun. It was fantastic. Great conversation with Nate. Going to be coming your way. We talk all things Bengals. Um, of course, as you would expect, 
Bengals Browns means our good friend and yours, friend of the program, Zach Jackson, returns back to talk about as interesting of a year as you can get on a beat. Uh, <laughs> and it is uh, now taking the next step with Deshaun Watson back. A lot of other stuff happening in Cleveland, of course. Um, Jay, you have that conversation with Zach. Uh, so we will get into that, all things Browns world, to get a feel for what to expect on Sunday. Of course, we'll have Arby's, Growler Bets, Run Passer Boots, predictions, all of that coming your way. Jay's got stats, leftover stats that we teased to you from Tuesday. We're going to get them in today. We're not going to yes. skip over. I'm not going to blow it this time. We're going to get it in. I mean, we we did go long on Tuesday. I, I feel like there were some things that had to be cut, and um, it's it's one thing to cut them and then forget them, but we're going to cut them and come back to them. Coming back. They're too good. We're gonna keep them in. Okay, here we go. News time, Jay. Um, the news, there's not a ton of it. Uh, Joe Mixon goes full uh, in Wednesday's practice, so that will clear him out of the concussion protocol. Uh, so he is good to go, which was sort of the anticipation from what we heard after the game and on Monday from Zach Taylor. Uh, so mixing all the way back, which, of course, has led to the discussion conversation of the week and really of the last few weeks in different capacities. That is. So Mixon's back. P. Ryan's been great. What happens next? Jay, you have a long story up about that. Uh you know, I you know my favorite. I love the Lebowski line. A lot of ins, a lot of outs, a lot of what have yous um, involved in the mix and P Ryan discussion at this point. Yeah, it's it's kind of the the big question right now is how they're going to handle it. And I, I thought it was interesting. I mean, I asked the question in the press conference yesterday about you know how beneficial is it really to to have two quality running backs when you're talking about week seventeen, week eighteen, the playoffs, keeping these guys fresh. I wasn't even going in that direction of who's running back one and Zach just says uh, Joe Mixon's our starting running back without me even mention anything along those lines I, I I think they're trying to make it clear and it is kind of surprising the I mean I get it P Ryan has played really really well but you know you've pointed it out and 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 pointed me towards those stats that are in the story that at how good Joe Mixon has been since week five and I, I think people kind of look at, oh, he just had one game against Carolina, the five touchdown game. And it hasn't been this. They've really found something in the run game. And I think you're going to see. I think you, you're going to see Sunday look a lot like what things look before look like before Joe got hurt. And, yeah, maybe Samaje moves in there and, and gets a few more snaps on on the second and longs. But the. The way this team has been performing on first down, maybe there's not going to be a lot of second longs. Maybe those opportunities aren't going to be there for him. So um, it is, I, I'm really interested to track how that looks, how that split looks between those guys on Sunday. Yeah. Uh, and, and we'll see. Um, I have one question, Jay, that I haven't heard anyone ask. And Lord knows that's hard to do on in this conversation because it's been talked about a lot over the last three weeks. Um, are people allowed to stop yelling at them about running P. Ryan in the Super Bowl now? Because like now that he's <laughs> Superman, apparently, and everybody yeah. loves Samaj P. Ryan, can the conversation about why the hell would you hand it to P. Ryan on third and one in the Super Bowl? It's amazing how that's not brought up anymore. Uh, yeah. You know, it's and I say that again, that's tongue in cheek, much white like Brian Callahan had a tongue in cheek comment yesterday <laughs> when he was talking on this topic and said, look, this again, this is tongue in cheek, but no one's telling us to go replace Jamar Chase with Trent Irwin. 
Okay. And that doesn't mean Trenton didn't do a great job filling in and stepping <laughs> in. It's just, it, and I think that's sort of their view on it. Like Mixon is still a much more dynamic player. He is a much more energetic, uh, make you, make you miss, uh, explosive type than Pirine. The grinding style, the powerful style of Pirine has been good for them, been good for efficiency. But again, uh, you know, makes an average in 4.9 per rush since week five. Like, I mean, it's, it, he's, he's, he's certainly been good and, it, and that's going to continue to stay pretty much the same. Uh, I think you will see more, but it's not going to be, I, I, I'm just amazed at how many people are just like, Oh no, just forget it. You know, just go, just go with P Ryan. Yeah. Um, you know, that it's, you need to, like, I just think this is so overblown at this point. Like we're talking about what percentage of snaps, like they, they've both been good. You know why they've both been good? Because the line has been good because the yeah. run game has been good. The holes are open and you know, they're running, you know, that's why Joe Mixon has been able to run for as many yards as he had been, has been number one efficient running back in football over that time. And P Ryan has been good in that respect too. I think he's 12th on that list, uh, averaging about 4.2 over that run. I mean, that's, Great. That it's great to have two of those guys. Both of them being fresher is good. A, a little extra role and confidence in Pirine is good. That can be the conversation, and that's that's fine. I don't know why it always has to to go one one way or the other. Uh, it's so dramatically, and I think people want there to be like a uh, you know a total change or a rift or something. Smajay's not having that. That's for sure. <laughs> And, and, and another point, I mean, it feels like Joe is one of those guys that that needs to get in a rhythm and needs to kind of feel the game and take some hits and, and, and work up that lather, so to speak. And Pirine doesn't. Pirine is fine going in cold on third down and doing his job. And that I, he said that when I talked to him yesterday. He said, if, if I need to get into a rhythm, I'm going to get the quarterback killed. He's like, I have to be ready as soon as I go in there. And that's not just running the ball as a passer. It's obviously his pass pro. And it's just... It's a little different with Joe. I, I don't think you would see Mixon be as effective if it if it turned into more of an even split. So um, look look for, I guess you would say, more of the same on Sunday. How bad the running game was earlier in the year certainly clouded the view mm -hmm. of Joe Mixon. It was awful. He was terrible. We talked about it here. But, you know, you've seen since things have opened up how much it's been much more about what was going on scheme-wise and what was going on opening wise than it necessarily was to Mixon, who wasn't breaking enough tackles, who wasn't get you know, being elusive enough, but he has been since then. Um and the combo of the two is great. And I think them having their roles and their strengths, they're different from each other. That's mm -hmm. good. Play them to that. I mean, there's really the amount of that's not preset roles where they're one is a much better fit than the other is a small percentage of plays. And that's what we've spent so much time talking about. Um, and so it ends up being a, a big point of conversation over a small percentage of the actual game. Uh, but so we'll, we'll move on. We'll move on from there. A lot of Bengals praise, you know, coming in from up top right now. The, a lot of people talking about the Bengals after what they did against the Chiefs. Understandably, people kind of checking back in on them that haven't been paying attention. That's pretty standard. I this, is, this goes along with the P Ryan uh, Super Bowl run thing. Um, I have a I have a bone to pick with things that I see sometimes online, and that is, can you stick with the people you don't like? That are like the national voices, right? Like I feel like this happens, and we see a lot of. Did you guys see Skip Bayless said we're great, right? And I'm like, stop, 
No, you you this you said this guy stinks, right? Pro football talk. Florio thinks we're up in those piss power rankings, right? <laughs> Stop your I thought you hated this man, right? Like I, I don't I don't you can't just just because somebody says something great, be like, oh, this is fantastic. Did you see what they said on Speak for Yourself? Like, you know, I mean, it's like just you know, I, I, I'm fine. Like, it's great. I, I, I enjoy people uh, enjoying what's going on and, and hearing people talk about your team when it doesn't always, hasn't always happened over time. Uh, but I think you got to stick with your enemies, right? St- stick yeah. with who your actual enemies are or else you end up in, in uh, Bengals talk hypocrisy. That losing streak continues to the Browns, and I think they're going to not want to watch those shows on Monday because it's going to completely go back the other way. Well, that's the way this league goes, right? Yeah. Joe Burrow told us, I mean, we stink one week and we're great the next week, right? (laughs) I mean, and that's so, I mean, it's just the nature of the roller coaster. And right now, the roller coaster is, uh, Jay, you're a roller coaster guy. What would be the act, the physically best part of any roller coaster? Are you a like first down the first hill guy? Is it the end when you realize how great that was? There, the, wherever that is, that's where the Bengals are right now. I, I, I'm yes, first hill. Right, that's it. It seems like a lot of those rides are just kind of peter out after that first hill. The beast being a major exception. Um, but yeah, the, and it's weird because everybody thinks up is the good part. No, that's the boring part. I, I, going up that hill, you're just waiting for the ride to start. Um, now, the best part's it, when you start throwing things at people behind you, right, Jay? Well, there you have a very small <laughs> margin to do that because there's cameras watching you. You have to get right past the camera before Not that you start ever done speeding this or down. That we yeah, condone this, is, this. This is all hypothetical. Hypotheticals from Jay, <laughs> crazy lunatic high schooler. Uh, all right. Uh, Quick news for you. We We've just, we're already derailed. Um, Kevin Hubert of the PS, which I think was suggested by Darren Simmons the other day, so that that will happen. Uh, Joe Burrow is AFC Player of the Week, fourth time in his career, second time this year, the previous being against Atlanta. No surprise there after he has that great game uh, against the Chiefs. Uh, Hayden Hurst, the calf, still, yeah, still doubtful, although Zach Taylor's sort of like, I never said he was going to be out. Someone mentioned he's going to be out, but, mm-hmm. you know. Doubtful is the word, and that we know what doubtful means. Um, so we'll see how that goes. I think that feels like a Hayden really wants to try to play, uh, mm-hmm. is what that feels like. And but they know he's not going to. Um, any other news that I skipped over or forgotten, Jay, or that you'd like to touch on? Uh, no, I don't believe so. I mean, Jesse Bates showed up on the injury report with a groin, but I I think that was uh. uh <laughs> An entry to avoid a fine. Yeah, yeah. It, it certainly it certainly suggests that. All right, let's take a second and switch gears here and hear from a sponsor. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. 
let's go to Nate Tice. So uh, Nate Tice uh, does the athletic football show with our uh, with Robert Mays. And I, I hope you guys listen to that. It should be part of your weekly listen. They're awesome. They do a great job of covering the entire league in depth and, you know, in the deep into the film of the biggest games right after on Sunday and their hangover show on Monday. So much good content on that feed. You should really be following that on our app, on the athletic or just, uh, you know, on, on iTunes or wherever. Uh, great stuff, but Nate has really kind of fallen in love with this Bengals team. And uh, so I really wanted to kind of tap into this. Here is a conversation with uh, Nate Tice. First time on, on the show, but uh, not the first time to the ears of Bengals fans that listen to hear that podcast, Colin, because as I have been telling you on repeat in recent weeks, you need to be listening to the athletic football show if you want Bengals content, because they open every show now with 20 minutes of nothing but Bengals content, it seems like. Nate Tice, great to have you on. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's been a uh, we're just talking on the pre-show, but it's been a pleasure to now talk about the Bengals and have Bengals fans kind of going like, hey, check this out. Don't get mad at this guy anymore. He's actually saying nice things. So, no, it's been awesome. I've been like, like I was saying to you just a couple minutes ago, I've truly been enjoying watching this Bengals team this year. It's been one of my favorite watches, offense and defense. So. My pleasure, as they'll say at Chick-fil-A. My pleasure. Yeah, with yeah this. absolutely. <laughs> um, so, so I, you know, I um, have listened to you guys evolve this year as well in the conversation about the Bengals because clearly yep. it opened up in the beginning part of the year where so much was about the tendencies they had, yep. you know, under center run over and over and over again. And it was in the funnels that they were in and the silos and the two different offenses they were running. And certainly Bengals fans, and we've talked about it ad nauseum here on this show too, but as they have evolved, what has impressed you the most in regards to how they have evolved from that to yep. you know the very diversified sort of attack that they've become now. Yeah, the, this whole offseason, we kind of I kind of figured out how defense would play against this team and go, hey, we'll just run cover two against you, and we're going to make you nickel and dime us. And the beginning of the year, that's why I was kind of like laughing. I wouldn't say laughing, but kind of sighing watching the Bengals team. Like, man, you had all offseason to know this is what defense are doing, and you're still running your head against the wall. Every time, like you said, every time you go under center on second down, especially it's like, here comes a zone run. Like you just, even for me that, you know, I watch a lot of these games. I'm not like truly studying like a quality control coach or an assistant coach would from an opposing team. And I'm noticing that. So I can only imagine these guys that get paid too much money, what, what they are noticing when they go game plan against these Bengals. So when it was against the Ravens and that Sunday night football game, and we were, when we do that show, the Sunday night football games for both Robert and I is back on in the background and we kind of will notice some things, but really like if we want to like a deep dive in stats, it's kind of hard because we're trying to do that for all the other games that happen on a Sunday, but I'm watching that game and I'm just like, wow, they're doing some shotgun runs. Okay. That's interesting. And wow, there's more of them. Oh, they're do Oh, Joe Burrow's like nickel and diming. And he had the one bad interception on the play action under center that I vividly remember. And I think that is the catalyst for everything that's happened since that game. I believe that was week five. Everything since then, uh, there's always a tendency, and I just mentioned that with when I watch under center, second down, run the ball, is everybody self-scouts. And I think what Zach Taylor and this offensive staff has done is realize their own tendencies, and they just broke them completely. And I think it's helped everything. Um, not only that, Joe Burrow has become a more – he was playing outstanding last year, but he's become a more complete quarterback in my eyes in the way that he is taking what the defense gives him. And I, I, that sounds like such a coach adage and so boring and everything. But for this offense that thrived on explosive plays last year, that was a good thing. 
they have become less explosive, but become more efficient. And then when it comes to the you know nut cutting time, like we saw against the Chiefs, oh, we can just still go to our money plays, to our money players like T. Higgins and Jamar Chase, and look what we can do. That's a freaking terrifying offense to try and stop now. And that's why I've been so excited to talk about them because this is more sustainable and they still have that kind of creamy goodness in the middle when they want to get to it. Like, so it's not just the the frosting on top. They actually have like a nice Sunday getting built up on offense. I mean, just throw food metaphors. I haven't eaten anything today. <laughs> like, sorry, I'm so, very hungry. Yeah. So I'm very hungry right now. But <laughs> so long story short, they I think they just, they ate their vegetables as Joe Bur- Burrow as a quarterback, as far as an offensive staff, and they diversified their run game out of the shotgun. Um, and also just on top of it, learning to work over the middle with Tyler Boyd and Hayden Hurst. And I think that's just going to pay dividends now as we get into December and January. I'll, I'll I'll bite on this not to continue it going. But I mean, I, I, I mean, they also have the freezer of ice cream, though. You know what I mean? They have the deep freeze in the yes. garden. They can always go. Always go you can it. always just go there and open it and just eat the like that, chocolate chip cookie that's dough. That's the funniest part. Just throw it to that- Jamar is always there. That's the funniest part is <laughs> the biggest plays that they had, the touchdown T. Higgins in the or in the first quarter or second quarter, and then also the last third down conversion to T. Higgins were the same plays they used to run way too many times last year. And the fact that they went, oh, we're going to go back to our money plays, but the money plays are better when you only run them twice a game and not a dozen times a game. And that money play for them is slant flats, which is, mm-hmm. you know, slants outside. It used to be with the Packers used to run with Aaron Rodgers and Mike McCarthy. And we saw what happened with that offense over the years. Teams just realized how to stop it. But when you can only run it twice a game and it's the perfect time to run it and your guys win, that's a lot better than running it 15 times. And the defense, like the Rams last year, were just sitting on it. They were just waiting for slant flat and other plays like that. That's what's awesome. That's the freezer. That's the freezer full of ice cream that you, you can eat at any single time you're hungry. It's funny. Uh, we actually just got done talking with Zach Taylor about that. He meant, you know, slant flats. He's like, I mean, when you're in junior high, it's oh, like yeah. you're running it over and over again. And obviously they did too. He said, he said, the interesting thing that's happened for him and for them offensively is that peop- there's this idea that they've gotten more complicated when it's being the exact opposite. He said, right. I would argue we've never been more simple. He said, we, we, we know how to, when you have better players, when you feel like you have better <laughs> players, you just want them to play confidently yep. and do it and do what you do well they've just found the things that they do well and burrow has the answer for all of them and it ends up being what kind of has set off those things it was just a matter of the first month plus the line gelling and then figuring out what they do well it's just surprising to me and i'm curious your take on this to see it become gun runs like you know that's so hard to do it's 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 so kind of been out of the blue for them strategically and it's it spawned off them going back under center more doing more of the duo and the wide zone has come back into the mix now lately but it really started with that how surprising was it for you that they were able to find that i it pretty surprising because it was always there it was always burrow's so much better in the gun that's why at lsu he was almost exclusively gone and just tearing up defenses as we all know and he just that's how quarterbacks are everybody has their own quirks some quarterbacks don't like turning their back to the defense some just some like russell wilson thinks that he can thrive and empty but he really can't everybody has their preferences <laughs> i don't know why i just took a pot shot at him on this just, podcast of the Bengals, but why not <laughs> throwing shrapnel everywhere um but that is i think they realize okay we can't this is exactly what happened with the chiefs offense this is what happened with the bills offense when they went to a bunch of gun spread looks with light personnel, 11 personnel, three wide receivers, which the Bengals were loving to do. Um, that's another side is they're using jumbo a little bit more as well. But is that 
we only can run so many runs from those formations and personnel groupings. And usually it was zone, 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 which is fine. There's nothing wrong with zone. But again, defenses get paid a lot of money, uh, coordinators and their players. When you just run the same thing over and over, unless you have dominant players, and I don't think anyone, even the highest Bengals fans that are in my mentions all the time, will say that the offensive line is the strength of this team. So how do we help this out? Okay, yes, the offensive line's got better. So they diversify that run game. And I think that's where the the Ravens game is where I first saw it. They're running trap, which is just pulling one guy and kicking out. And you can do that without a tight end attached to the formation. So it's just this double benefit. The quarterback run game, um, designed runs. I think Burrow's already doubled his number from last year on designed runs. The first touchdown was just a I mean, that's old school single wing football. Like you just catch the ball and run up the middle. <laughs> but it's great because the defenses are so worried about Tyler Boyd, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Hayden Hurst, um, Pirine, or Mixon coming out of the backfield. Their eyes are going to the pass. And so now Burrow just runs simply up the middle. And it's oh, that's easy. Like they they just stop running their heads against the wall and just going, okay, we're gonna just run zone because that's the run we can run. They're like, oh, let's try pin pull, let's try draws. Let's just try this other stuff. And it's worked beautifully because they teams have to worry about them dicing them up in the pass game from the shotgun. So it's just all tying all together, which is just so funny where you can just go, it was, they went to the shotgun and it's just like, yeah, it worked. Yeah, I mean, it did. That's really what happened. And yeah. uh, it's so, it's so awesome to hear Zach Taylor says, yeah, it's kind of simple, but yeah, this is, this is what's working. It's, I mean, it's funny. I, I don't think I've ever seen a team go from so drastically terrible running the ball to so right. incredibly efficient. I mean, we had the joke. It was hashtag 35th because when you found the running back qualifiers That's of the one through, one through 35 and Mixon That's was 35th funny. in every category for the first six weeks, it was just over and over and over again. Yep. But once they unlocked it, it, um, it proved that maybe it's not as much Mixon. It, it, because yes. they both have come in, Mixon actually uh, most highest success rate since week six yep. of any running back, and and P Ryan has, has done well in it too. Obviously, when he's been put in there, it's because the stuff they're doing is opening up more, and it, it allows everybody to kind of to kind of play. That's interesting evolution. I want to ask you real quick about Burrow. Um, in a big picture lens here before I move over to uh, Luana Rumo and his defense, which you've done some great stuff on that's up uh, on, on your Twitter feed and on the YouTube feed right now for the Athletic Football Show. Burrow against – I've written far too much and done far too many charts on Burrow's MVP case at this point. Um, how do you view him against the others? He doesn't have the sexiness of some of the plays and the big arm and Josh Allen's jumping over people and Jalen Hurts is the new guy and, and Tua and everything's happening there is exciting. Like you said, his evolution, what's set him apart, has been eating vegetables, right? I mean, yeah. it's like how how do you view him as as far as how well he's playing against other quarterbacks in the league and, and specifically when you start talking about this MVP conversation that's popping up now? Yeah, and that's that's what's so cool with Burrow. And I was and honestly I group him and Dak Prescott a lot together because you see them play quarterback as opposed to being just this true overwhelming talent. You watch Josh Allen play. I, I If I'm teaching like a young quarterback, I'm never using Josh Allen film. I, I <laughs> Never. Like that guy is just a freak of freaks. And it's so what am I supposed to do? Like show, oh yeah, be 6'5", 245 and run faster and everybody and blow, throw defensive hands off you. That's not real. Um, Patrick Mahomes, the, what's amazing about Mahomes is that he does all the crazy stuff with the Gumby stuff and just contorts his body and can throw you know 70 yards on a whim and on top of it he is really good from the pocket and that's why and i i'm gonna get to how much i love how burrow's playing mahomes is still my first team all pro and mvp if it ended season ended right now we still have another month 
but his is same thing. I wouldn't really use that as teach tape. <laughs> like that is not how I would teach a quarterback to play. He doesn't want he's one of one, but when you get watch burrow and you see his timing and that is what his superpower is, his timing and his accuracy. I have com- compared him. And I meant this when he first came in that he has better arm strength than this than Chad Pennington in the sense he knows what he is. He knows he doesn't have this crazy arm. He's really accurate and understands leverage and understands how to get rid of the ball. That's what he. That's what you're saying. It's not sexy. He the the explosive plays are down, but his efficiency is like shot through the roof. I think it's like the from like a certain stretch, it's shot up like ten percent or twelve percent or something high sixties percent because he's learning to okay, I'm gonna work underneath, work underneath, get defenses to start creeping up, and then I'm gonna hit Tower Boyd on an over route. I'm gonna hit Hayden Hurst on a bend, go balls, and that's what last year was happening. Is that and this happens a lot with QB evaluations, especially with college guys. People get enamored by go balls. But when you're talking about JV slant flats, every JV quarterback and varsity quarterback throws go balls first. That is the first throw you throw. Is that's that's why it's sometimes you like you want to see all the in-between stuff. Burrow's gotten so much more consistent, not just relying that he can pull that card out whenever he wants, but all the stuff over the middle. So it's and then on top of it, he's scrambling a lot more efficiently. Like he is not just, I think last year he bounced around, bounced around to extend plays. Now he hangs in a pocket to scramble as a last resort and he's become more devastating as a scrambler. I think his uh, yards, like he had one rush of 10 or more yards last year. And I think he's like, like laughing that this year, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head, but it's something ridiculous. Uh, But it's, that is what the difference is with him now. He's just becoming smarter. He's just, that's a smart player already. That's learning. Okay. I don't always have to be a hero. I can do all these other things. So to me, uh, and we talked about this at the end of the show. I think he is making a very valid case for, again, Mahomes would be my first team all pro, but between Burrow, Allen, and, you know, Jalen Hurts a little bit, like that's, they're really fighting for that second team all pro, which I think is more valid this year than it was last year. Yeah. And and so, you know, the big reason you have that and you have him now 3-0 and against Patrick Mahomes, which right. when you start getting into that case and then he'll have Josh Allen uh, in at Paycor Stadium on Monday Night Football in Week 17, if you, you know, look, uh, I've talked this about this a lot. The eight of the last ten MVPs have been a number one or number two seed. Eight of the last ten have been number one seed. The other two are number two seeds. Uh, it, it's just, are you the quarterback of the best team? Like that's <laughs> yeah. where right. this thing ends up, and that and that's fair because it will come down to that. Are you going to win enough? Are you going to beat those guys? And if the, yep. he does go out there and do it, um, that can award can be his hit be his. The other side of it is though. I mean, Luana Rumo and this defense are a bit are why they're three and zero against the Chiefs. Yes, you know, people say, "Oh, this was vindicating for Burrow." Burrow versus Mahomes. No, Anarumo versus yes. Mahomes is three and zero because he yes. continues more than anybody else in this league to find ways yes. to get in Mahomes' head yes. at least a little bit, and just nobody else does a little bit, you know. And that's really been enough to put Burrow in the offense over the top. What impressed you most about – and I'm not meaning this to be specifically about the yeah. Kansas City game because he has a, a year's worth – well, two years' worth of, of great tape uh, on that. What specifically has impressed you about Anarumo and, and sort of the way that he's evolved? Yeah, it's knowing when to lean into the punch. And I described this on my little breakdown of it. He knows when to throw a fastball. He knows when to throw a changeup. He knows when to throw a knuckleball out of nowhere. <laughs> and that is – that's what he is. He has five pitches in every game. And sometimes he just throws fastballs and it's just, all right, we're going to just every third down, we're going to blitz the shit out of you. And then sometimes it's 
nothing. We're going to drop eight. We're going to do this, or we're going to just rush four and play soft coverage. They have a lot of smart players, especially on the back end, but they're really well coached. Like they know tendencies so well. You can see these guys communicating in every game, which I think is so cool to watch when you start really seeing. That's what I say on the show as well, is that when you see repeat matchups, that's when it's the best because not only just divisional matchups, but just top teams, because then you start seeing how players communicate. And then also how players like even that last third down that I broke down, Mahomes changes the protection because they got whooped on that same pressure look earlier in the game. So that is okay. That again, you get into this. I know I, which I keep saying this, I know what you know, what I know what you know, but that's what they're getting into. It's like, it's getting to five layers of that. I think that's, what's so cool is his kind of big brotherness of, I'm not hitting you. I'm not hitting you. I'm not hitting you. And then he hits you like that's what this defense does. Um, that break, that game was uh, the third downs was just fascinating to me because third down, and I think more and people have become more uh, aware of this is the NFL is so situational. So first and second down, it's his own beast. Third and fourth down, it's his own beast. Red zone, it's his own beast. Goal line, everything's its own little situation. So when you just break down third and three pluses, third and one and two is considered short yardage, then you see the cat and mouse game of this game because last year it was dropping eight and then this year they were like no we're gonna blitz you no one blitzes Mahomes. that's that's <laughs> pl- that's playing with fire and they got them they got free runners they realized orlando brown's not worth the money he's asking for they do they kind of were getting after him and figuring it out making Mahomes have to point things out then the second half Mahomes and the chiefs they were in okay we're gonna wad this up and we're gonna throw bombs away on you so if you want to like make us throw short, we're going to hit you over the top and got after him a couple of times. MBS had the long seam ball and then also the corner route. But on and then the finally, that's what led to the last one was that they showed the blitz and then they went, nope, we're going to do what we did last year to you and drop eight. And that's what he does every game. Luda Amaruo on this defense is I've seen him against last year against Justin Fields and the Bears every third down show pressure looks and then bail out and then have one guy hot drop because he was aware of what their pressure rules are. That is mm, that is just like such like good game planning. That means they study the crap out of tape and they realize what you are going to try to do against them and they tweak what they do. And uh, that's why that's why I think they're really fun to watch. And I like I, I've said this a couple times. He's probably one of the most interesting coaches and units to watch in the league on either side of the ball, offense or defense. Yeah. And w- one last note on that. I mean, Lou, we talked to him on Monday and he said that play he kept in his back pocket all game. It was the one he, he wanted to use because that was, it wasn't, it, it was the ultimate. He said the exact same thing you did. It's the, it's the, you know what I know what you know, because he had dropped Sam Hubbard back to that middle linebacker spot three or four times over the course of last year in the divisional playoff against Tennessee. And yeah. uh, he had also done it, I believe against it, it, earlier this year against the Steelers enough times, every time Hubbard dropped back to the middle, he rushed. He yes. came after it. It was a blitz. He, but this way, it was a perfect way for him to disguise a drop eight. And Hubbard just told me a little bit ago, I dropped right in where Kelsey was supposed to go. And and that ended up being really yep. the biggest difference in the play of not Mahomes, being able to get it to him. Mahomes, they had two guys just sitting right there. Logan Wilson, I believe, was the Tampa dropper. That was the other thing is they showed man pressure. Mm-hmm. When you MVS hits that, hits that corner route on them, the sale route on them, it's the same pressure look. So that I bet you the Chiefs were just like, well, here this here comes this again. Yes. They're gonna try and make me throw hot again. And they had two guys, like you said, Sam Hubbard and then Logan Wilson. They ran Tampa too. Mm-hmm. And it it Travis Kelsey short circuited because <laughs> I believe he's only supposed to run like a five yard route there. And then he's like, Oh shoot, this linebacker, Logan Wilson keeps pushing back. So he's trying to get around him. And it actually condensed the space. 
So that way, it just that Mahomes was getting into creation mode, and on top of it, that's that's the other thing. I, uh, I it's such an interesting play. That's why it's and there's so many layers to this play. That's why it's like really. That's why I've geeked out a lot about it. I'm trying to like really <laughs> tell people like this play had layers. Was is, is how do you say his last name? Osai. Yeah, Joseph, Joseph Osai. Okay, mm-hmm. cool, good. I did a whole video on him and never looked up his pronunciation. <laughs> you got it right. Yeah. Okay, so he was able to rush inside on Orlando Brown because he knew he had Hubbard as his contained player. Mm-hmm. You're only able to do that when you you're not. That's a no no. You're not supposed to rush inside, especially against a quarterback like Mahomes, and give up contain. But he could do that because he knew. Hubbard would be the contained player. And so rushing three was what let him unlock his pass rush and beat Orlando Brown, which created the pressure and dropping eight. I mean, there, there's just so many layers to this, but that's so interesting with the Hubbard thing and that, that he's rush, 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 because you can see Mahomes, he puts McKinnon on the other linebacker, and then he then he's making sure that they have four for four. So mm-hmm. he points Wilson and Hubbard to say, oh, line, we're sliding to these two. So again, again, it was the I know what you know, what I know what you know. And I, I'm sure. Sh- I mean, if these both teams win their divisions, they'll play next year, or if they they might meet again in the playoffs. Like, I'm curious what the next step to this is because it's yeah. so fascinating to see this. This is what's happening, and this is only the third matchup between them. Yeah, and the Chiefs made a lot of great adjustments too. I mean, the way they were able to run the ball and yeah. stuck with it, and they didn't they didn't back off of it. Like you know, because that was the bet last year, right? It was that yes. you're not going to have Andy the discipline Reed to bored. run the ball. Andy Reid gets bored. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it, and it worked twice. And they knew it wouldn't work again because Andy Reid gets smart too. Uh, the last thing I want to say, I'll ask you before I'll, I'll let you go. Um, how do you view the Bengals? right now amongst the AFC contenders, this sort of, you know, this group that is when the tears come out, there they are. They're all kind of up yeah. in that that four that appears to be there. How do you view them? How do you view that big four right now? I really how the teams, how I feel about them right now. It's to me, Chiefs are still my number one team, even though they've lost to the Bengals and the Bills now, which is kind of funny. I, I feel like a hypocrite saying that, <laughs> but it's it's them, Bills and, and Bengals like that. Those three. I truly think are just in their own kind of tier because they're so complete. And I know the Chiefs defense is wishy-washy. We just saw their tackling ability against this Bengals team, which is what it got them last year as well. But I do believe Spags is really good once the playoff time start. And he kind of, we're talking about game planning. He's one of the better ones, Steve Spagnola as a defense coordinator. They still have Mahomes. The Bills losing Von Miller is really interesting. And they've had some blemishes with the up and downness of Josh Allen being Professor Chaos. And so that's what he is, man. He is just, he is every, I, he would be so much fun to coach, but so terrifying at the same time because he just, what he does, just that ostrich running around. And, and then, but I just think the Bengals are right in there. And as a true contender, as a true final four candidate, because of just the sustainability of their whole team, I, I, their defense is going to keep them in every game. And the fact that their offense isn't relying on explosive plays, I really want to say they're like 19th in explosive play rate. Why I want to keep bringing that up is because that's awesome. That means last year they were so rel- – those go up and down. Explosive plays are yeah. – can be unless you have Randy Moss, can be very high variable. So the fact that they can go to that when they want to, that makes me just feel really optimistic. But, I mean, to me, valid Final Four candidate. You know, So make it to the conference championship game, and you never know what happens in the playoffs. I think they're really – they're a better team than they were last year, and they made the Super Bowl last year, which is just so crazy. Yeah, and and sustainability for now and for the future. I mean, their yeah. line is locked up. The interior line that they rebuilt yeah. and Burrow, they will give a gozillion dollars. Cordell Volson, Cordell Volson, like, like, what the hell? Like How about that? You know that talk about a shock of the year that you find a fourth round pick and he shows up and starts week one and and it's a disaster. And but 
has gotten better every week in the last three every weeks week. has seen Chris Jones, Cam Hayward, and, uh, and, you would and never Simmons. Know. And, and, and they were not, you know, in non-factors for the most part. It's, yeah. it's wild. You, don't, you just don't see wild. that. So they're, they're on to something. There's no question. But, so they'll give you plenty more times for you to fill up pl- space. You're, uh, you're going to have to cut. You might have to re, uh, relocate here to, to Cincinnati uh, for <laughs> too long. <laughs> I don't know. The, uh, the one company in uh, football media work based out of Cincinnati. I don't know about that. Yeah. <laughs> I work for a different one. No, but no, I, I, I've been really, it's been fun for me. And this is like, it's not just me just kind of regressing to the mean about my Spangles takes i really just think that they should get a lot of credit for how well they're coaching and burrow's play much hype last year but and don't get me wrong burrow was playing excellent last year but this is just more this is real this is like the real growth you want to see from your star quarterback and it's like holy crap this guy can be this is this is a really good player on a really good offense yep uh, Nate, I appreciate it. I, I look forward to uh, more chats in the future, and uh, you probably have a meal that you need to get to. I assume it's. Like, I assume. It, I assume you've cooked something, and it's like wafting, and that's what's caused know. all this. <laughs> I think I have some leftovers or something. I don't know. As soon as we started this call, I had some coffee. I'm like, man, I need to eat. I think that's yeah. what it was. The coffee hit my empty belly, and I just felt the acidity just burn a hole. So I was like, oh man, food well, eat your best. vegetables. Don't go directly for the cookie dough and ice cream in the in the deep freeze. I would recommend eating your vegetables. Sounds good. Thanks, Nate. Thanks, Nate. Appreciate it, man. All right, let's just take a quick break. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com All right, much thanks to Nate for uh, catching up with us. Great talk, talking with him. I'm hungry now. Uh, so we have this, we have this conversation. I, I enjoyed the part about how you, know, you eat your vegetables, like Burroughs, the eat your vegetables quarterback, you know, <laughs> and then it, these other guys, you know, it's the, it's the ice cream. I love the ice cream in the deep freeze where they can still, they can go, the Bengals can go eat the ice cream in the deep freeze when they need it. But, but what makes Burrow great is that he, He's just going to hammer those vegetables, man. He's just going to make the right decision every time, eat his greens, doesn't have to go. Last year, it was nothing but ice cream, right? <laughs> now, you've got sustainability. This will keep you healthy for a long time. Love that. Love talking to Nate, and I had to go eat as soon as we were done chatting there. I think he did, too. Um, a lot of but you know, a lot of this, how Burrow has been, I wanted to there, – there's a lot of numbers to get to and to talk about. One thing I wanted to talk about as part of this that I didn't get to the other day with the in our Borough MVP chat, which that story are the MVP vote three quarters of the year athletic MVP vote is in, and they have Mahomes number one, Hertz number two, and Burrow coming in at third now. Um, 
I have sort of the case of Joe Burrow. It's going to be laid out. That will be that way, which I talked about last week. That will be up tomorrow morning, Friday morning, to uh, piggyback on this story. And there's a lot in there. A lot I talked about the other day. A lot that I didn't talk about the other day. That's in there. One thing I didn't talk about the other day that I want to get in is just the stat line because I was. I'm sitting next to the media room when I kind of had actually I had stumbled upon it before as part of the research and I wanted to, I just was like Jay you have to see this this is it's it's unbelievable when you look at it so I the one I wanted to really separate situationally you know quantify clutch kind of quantify high leverage uh because that's such a big part of burrow it's not just general overall stats and you know it's 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 when it's the how it's how he comes through in these big moments all the time and so what i did was pretty simple really i mean everything is under the uh since week 3 but i went into fourth quarter and overtime of games that are close that's it so fourth quarter and overtime of games that were within 10 points either direction and look up the stats on that. And he is so far above everyone else. Here's his stat line in those situations, plays in those situations. He's 37 of 46, which is an 80% completion. 541 yards, five touchdowns, no interceptions. That is 11.8 yards per attempt, Jay. <laughs> That's insane. No, obviously no interceptions, so no turnovers, only three sacks, a passer rating of 151.9. Perfect is 158.3. Uh, next closest, let's see, Jalen Hurts has a rating of 136.4. Uh, nobody else is even above 111. I mean, this man has just been so stone cold when it has to happen. It's and that that has been you know consistent. If the game's close and it's in the big moments, he is just a chain. He's just a chainsaw, just cutting everything in his path. Precise. He doesn't. He eighty percent completion, one fifty one passer rating, uh, and the, and it's not at the expense of throwing it downfield. I mean, to have eleven point eight yards per these are these are alien numbers that you wouldn't even think exist. Just crazy stuff. That's it's a great quantification of of Burrow's you know rise to the moment, which is something that really separates him from the other guys. It. Is, I mean, that there's nothing surprising about saying Joe Burrow is clutch and he's good when the game matters the most. We've seen it. We've seen it before we even got here. We saw it at LSU. But then you you see those numbers and you showed them to me or read them to me because I can't see that far without my glasses. And <laughs> oh man, uh, it was it was stunning. It was staggering. And I wonder even um, that completion percentage. There's got to be a spike or two in there to kill the clock. I mean that. Right. If you take those, it's even crazier. Um, so it it is. It's and then anytime it, it's it's one thing just to look at a guy's numbers and see how good they are, but then when you when you compare and like you did, where he ranked with everybody else and with Hurst being the next closest, and then all the way down to one eleven for the third, it's just it's amazing. Even though you see it week in and week out, to to actually look at the the body of work and what he's done in those in those high leverage situations. I mean, that's what these games are going to be. That's what these games coming down the stretch and these playoff games, that's when they're going to be determined. And if you've got that guy running the show, I mean, who, who's betting against another deep run? 
I mean, it's 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 kind of the way they why they've won these games. Mm. You know, it's why they've won so many of them. So, uh, but we shall see. But that was good. So, but fourth quarter, Jay. That's part of one of our our stat teases. Uh, yeah, you have some fourth quarter stats in general, not just necessarily specific to Burrow. Yeah, it's not just all Burrow, but it's the the Bengals have outscored their opponents eighty three to forty six in the fourth quarter. That thirty seven point differential is fourth best in the league behind the Jets, Cowboys, and Vikings, all teams that obviously would be in the playoffs right now. Fourth quarter points per drive, 2.37, second best in the league. 13 penalties in the fourth quarter, second fewest. Offensive EPA, they rank third. Their fourth quarter turnover margin is plus three. That's fifth in the league. Uh, Defensively, yards allowed, eighth fewest. Points per drive allowed, eighth fewest. Opponent passer rating, 11th lowest. They are just, it's not just Joe Burrow. It's the entire team is at its best in the fourth quarter when it matters most. They've, yeah, they've got a kind of got a knack for finding a way to finish, which is funny because at the early part of the year, they just couldn't quite finish, mm-hmm. right? And they've turned that part around both defensively and offensively to kind of get better at finishing those games. And that's how they're eight and two. I mean, you know, that's. It's as it's as simple as that. Um, so turnovers, also yeah. a big part of this. Obviously, um, Jay, you've got turnover stats for us to, to to talk about when you think about how the Bengals have been really on such a nice run uh, in in that regard. Where you just they really that Browns game is the last time we've really kind of relevantly talked about turnovers at all. Yeah, well, if you remember after week one, after they had the minus five against Pittsburgh, that w- that was our run passer boot was, will they ever get above um, zero in turnover differential? And they did it pretty quick. I think it was week three or week four, and they were back on top. And the plus, um, they've been turnover free in their last two games, three of the last four, and four of the last six. Even with that five turnover game in the opener, they only have 12 turnovers this year in 12 games. The The franchise record for fewest is 17. Now that was in a 16-game season, so that was 1.1 point per game. They're, they're averaging 1.0 per game right now. With the five spot With the, the five in week one, which is just crazy. Um, if, if, you, if you take out that week one aberration – um, obviously they're plus seven from week 12 or from week two to week 13, you take, you look at everybody that plus seven would be third best in the league behind the Eagles who are plus 12 and Cowboys are plus nine. They also, one of those five turnovers was a, a fumble in the opener. They've only lost three fumbles since then. Mm-hmm. That's one shy of the Cowboys best in the league. They Cowboys have lost two Bengals only lost three from week two on. It's just whether it's, it's running with the ball as running backs, whether it's receivers catching the ball and securing it, Joe Burrow taking care of them. They are just not turning the ball over. And I mean, any game, any matchup you talk about, what's the first thing any coach or player says, got to win the turnover battle. They are doing that consistently. Um, why is that happening? How is that happening? Uh, you know, you talked to Brian Callahan a little bit about that yesterday. Let's bring in Bengals offense coordinator Brian Callahan on the turnover topic. I know you'd like it to be zero, but ball security has been really good. Yeah. I mean, the, not just Joe, the entire team since week one. I mean, we're, mm-hmm. it, 
where do you see that right now? Is that as, as good as you can About hope as for? good as you could hope for. Yeah. You know, I, I do. I, I commend our guys. We, um, Justin Hill does a presentation every week, every Wednesday morning, and it's, it's all about the ball. And usually uh, has some sort of clips from whatever team we're playing on, on bad ball security. Uh, we emphasize it. It's how to carry the ball, how to carry it right. Where do fumbles occur? Why do they occur? Um, and you and you just hammer that, um, and we work on it all the time. And so, you know, the old saying is you get what you emphasize, and, and we've done a really good job of emphasizing the security of the ball, and, and our guys buy into it, and they do it. They do a great job of it, of, of securing it in traffic and carrying it high and not worrying about not putting it in harm's way. Um, and that's that's a huge part of, of being able to take care of it is knowing how to take care of it. And I think that um, our guys have done a great job executing the things that, that we ask them to do when it comes to the technique of carrying the ball in traffic as a runner. And then obviously Joe has the ultimate responsibility of you know not putting the ball in harm's way. And I think he's probably been as good as anybody I've ever been around without putting the ball in, in spots other than a handful of tips. Uh, and some freak picks by T.J. Watt. Um, he's done. A, he's done. A, he's done about as good a job as you could ever ask a quarterback to do with, you know, being aggressive but without being reckless. And um, I think that's a, you know, a huge reason why we've been able to win games is we don't give the ball away. So you know, one thing that Brian says there, Jay, is is he talks about look, uh, Burrow's just he's just as good as anybody I've ever seen at doing this mm-hmm. right now. Uh, I mentioned the other day, 1.4% turnover-worthy plays rate since uh, week three. So not only is that the best amongst anyone, um, that would be the lowest. That number would be the lowest by any quarterback since 2017 and Matt Ryan. Um, no one's been that that low. You can consider how much he throws it, how much the ball is in his hands, and just not hardly have any. Um, what he has been after since getting past those first couple of weeks has been just ruthless um, as far as absolutely no negatives, you know, just never, never setting the other team up. Like, like Callahan said, making them, making them earn every single one. It's one thing not to put the ball in danger with a lot of check downs and easy throws. That's not what he's doing. I mean, look at third and 11, look at some of these throws he's making in those situations where he's making really, really difficult throws and they are, they could very easily be tipped and and end up being turnovers. And he is just spot on. The, the accuracy is almost perfect. I wonder, on those stats you had, those fourth quarter, did you do turnover-worthy plays? Because he, he's he's leading the league overall. I imagine he's got an insane lead in those – in those fourth quarter situations, or I guess that's hard to do because that's a, a PFF metric that kind of yeah. Does I could I, I'd and, have to go over and uh, and cross check it on PFFs, yeah. which I could which I could do, but I don't. I have a separate PFF section uh, as part of it. All of that and more in the MVP story tomorrow. So make sure you check that out. <laughs> um, so all of this is to say they got to avoid it against the browns because this is what's happened right this is mm-hmm. this is why they've lost all these games to the browns for some reason when they play this team it's different it's denzel ward with a 99 yard uh inter- pick six interception return right one of uh, burrow has five career red zone interceptions and three of them are against the browns mm-hmm. um you know it's weird the miles garrett play that you saw the fumble i mean that uncharacteristic, very uncharacteristic stuff seems to happen against the Browns, which is why uncharacteristic results seem to happen against the Browns consistently. It's a weird thing. It's hard to figure out. So if we're trying to figure it out, we should go to Zach Jackson. 
because Zach can help us figure it out. So Jay, here's uh here's here's Jay's conversation uh, with Zach Jackson this week, talking about all things Cleveland Browns right now. We just talked to Zach Jackson. Seems like not that long ago. Uh, Zach, how's everything in Cleveland today? It wasn't that long ago. Uh, <laughs> everything's cheery. You know, the Browns are going to make a rally and win the Super Bowl. So um, we'll see what happens. Uh, this is an interesting – it's been an interesting year. It's been an interesting century, right? But, uh, you know, the Browns are confident they can beat the Bengals. So – and they should be. So uh, I'm really looking forward to this one uh, for many reasons. I. I wanted to ask you about that, and I wanted to start with Deshaun Watson, obviously, but uh, let, since you brought it up, let's just get right to it. I mean, it's crazy. You've covered a Browns team that was owned and dominated by the Steelers. I've covered a, a Bengals team same way. That kind of made sense. This one is just weird. Five in a row, eight of nine from from your side of covering the Browns. What what do you think it is about this this rivalry currently where it's just so one-sided? Well, I think some of it is that when the Browns are locked in, the Bengals have trouble blocking them, right? Mm. Um, I think some of it is like last year's game in Cincinnati. The Browns were keyed up for that moment, and Mm. it felt like it was going to be a 42-41. Denzel picks off that ball and runs it back, and you know, then eventually the Browns started throwing the ball down the field, which they hadn't done at that point in over a month, right? So Mm. um, the Browns have good players. You know, the Browns – um, I, I think they, you know, they run similar base offensive systems. You know, I think Miles Garrett gets up for the game. Um, yeah. I, I think the Bengals really, you know, didn't manage the last one well and didn't have Jamar Chase. Now he could have played that game and the Browns were going to win. It was yeah. a complete butt kicking, right? But you know, I, I I think there's something to be said for this being a matchup based league, be, being a lot of it, and um. <clears throat> You know, like I said, if you look at the Browns over the course of their 12 games, they've they have just played poorly in a couple of them. But other than that, it's Ben Jay just not connecting the dots at the right time or just picking the wrong time to be bad. And against the Bengals, like going back to that Denzel Ward 99-yarder, they've picked the right time to make the play, and it's snowballed positively from them from there. Yeah, it almost seems like they, they are so – the Bengals are so set on not letting – that the Browns run the ball on them, that they they make themselves vulnerable in the pass game, and it it does. They they this is a team that very rarely gives up big plays, but it seems like the the Browns always find a way to to hit one or two. And now you've got a quarterback who who could hit some of those that it won't seem as odd as a Jacoby Brissett hitting <laughs> long balls down the field. Um, before we get to 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 Sean on the field, I was really found it interesting the piece that you wrote and for people that are watching or listening want to go check it out on the site it's great Zach went to Houston and sat in the stands and tried to well not tried to did gauge the reaction uh to to Deshaun Watson coming back and I just wanted you know what was your major takeaway from that what did you expect did it did it live up to what you expected going in um and, and what was the experience like sitting in a in the stands for a game as opposed to the press box <laughs> well well the easy answer is no because we did it because we expected vitriol right we uh, expected this this negative reaction and people yelling at him and browns players engaging back to them and there was none of that i mean the texans are so bad jay like an hour <laughs> and 15 minutes before the game there just was nobody in the parking lot the only people, you know, they blew a horn or a buzzer or some sort, like most stadiums do, like, mm-hmm. hey, the gates are open. Here we go. Well, 
15 minutes later, the only people in the building were wearing orange, right? Either yellow security or orange Browns <laughs> and Texans fans sold their tickets to, to Browns mm. fans. You know, I sat in the fourth row, 30, 35 yard line. Uh, I was surrounded by people wearing Deshaun Watson's jerseys and Browns players, parents, wives, cousins, things like that, who, you know, usually those tickets cost a premium in Houston. They didn't really cost that much because Texans mm-hmm. fans just didn't want to go. So, um, you know, the guys in front of me had Deshaun Watson red Texans jerseys on. The guy next to me had a Deshaun Watson Browns jersey on. Like, you just don't see that, right? So it was unique. It was interesting. It was a different view of the game. But, I mean, they booed him, and they booed him loudly. There were some signs, of course, there were people wearing the Predator stuff out in the parking lot. But those were a couple people, not a couple thousand. Like, yeah. there, it, it just was it, – it was – there were way more people there to cheer for the Browns and for Deshaun Watson specifically than there were to hate on him. And how it came across was, you know, he dapped up people in the crowd and Texans gear, like, like he knew them. Once the game started, he never looked up once. And I never heard anything even close to an incident or something that got anybody on the Browns sideline attention. Um, it was a game that Deshaun played really poorly and the Texans were worse and the Browns got away from it and they expect to be better and they need to be better because he was awful. Yeah, one of those signs you mentioned you got a photo of that's in the story. I I, I, I imagine that was not left up very long before security pulled that one down. <laughs> but uh, with his performance, um, what was it rust? Did he look uncomfortable? Was it mechanics? I mean, what what led to I, – because I, 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 we wrote about it in the, the whip round last week, and I, mm-hmm. I think we all fully expected some rust, but not that level. Yeah, so I expected bad. It was way worse. Mm-hmm. And I think you can say rust. I think you can say, you know, without being a quarterback mechanic expert that, you know, he's speeding up between nerves and rust mm-hmm. and everything else. He wasn't getting his eyes and his feet and his arm, you know, on, on the same wavelength. And that was obvious. But what's concerning to me is, you know, he had been playing. He, he had been training, right? He's been, It's not like he just came out of nowhere after two years. And when we saw him miss in the summer, it was a lot of – short arm stuff, seven and nine yard passes coming up two yards short. And that was still those same misses. So can we attribute that to, like I said, he's just not, it's happening too fast and he's too excited. Probably. Can he get that fixed in one week? I don't know. I mean, Jay, I don't think that he forgot how to play football or throw a ball. And even back to the spring and summer, you know, we saw shaky play and practice. It's ugly. And we saw great throws, but you know, someone who's worked in the NFL for a long time texted me last Friday and said, what do you think? What, what happens if he just can't play anymore? And he wasn't proposing that as a real thing, but he was proposing it as a question that's been asked. So it certainly would be not fair to jump to that conclusion after one game. And it certainly wouldn't be fair after one month, right? But when Stefanski says there's a human element here, he means like Deshaun was nervous, Deshaun hasn't played, and we're putting a guy in a huddle who hasn't been in a huddle in a long time or in our huddle for the first 11 games. But you're also saying there's a human element here, and when you haven't played in two years, you you know it's going to take a while if you can ever get back to that mm. level. Yeah, I, the one that comes to mind with me is always Michael Vick um, with, with the prison sentence, and um, you know he he did he came back. He he was he wasn't great right away, but he did eventually get back into form. Um, assuming whenever it is that Deshaun gets. Maybe it's Sunday in Cincinnati. Whenever it is that he gets back to form, and when who benefits most from from him coming back on on the field? Uh, well, I mean, the people would get to keep their jobs that work in the front office. So I almost jumped the gun <laughs> on your question. You know, on the field, everybody, right? Like Nick Chubb has a case as the NFL's best running back. Like he he can benefit from that. 
You know, Watson himself has never played with a, a run game or an offensive line near this good. Um, you know, Omari Cooper has been really, really solid his whole career, and he's mm-hmm. been that this year. Um, Donovan Peoples-Jones has gone from a guy who would occasionally make a play, and you saw the talent, to a guy who's been really consistent this year outside of Watson and should only take off from there. I mean, he's a he is an example of a guy that you just see his confidence growing, and, and so he's still young. Um, he can get down the field. He's not like a top end burner, but here's he's a guy that you would think you make a lot more fifteen and twenty five yard receptions in the future than the eight and nine yarders he's been putting his body on the line to make. So, you know, ideally everyone would benefit. But Jay, I mean, I'm not afraid to say this. You know, the Browns, of course, talked about Deshaun Watson and, of course, knew they needed to move on from Baker Mayfield, and they were right about all that. Ultimately, Deshaun told them no, and they came back with money. That's ownership-driven. But what, to me, took this idea from the idea stage and maybe the second or third year into overdrive was the Bengals having Joe Burrow and making the Super Bowl last year. Mm -hmm. And the Browns looked and said, we have Baker Mayfield, and he's not a franchise quarterback. We look around and see what's in our division, and that happened there. And Joe's so young and so everything, right? Um, that was a big thing. So you know, may, maybe we won't see it on full display this week. And chances are that this game doesn't mean a lot because the Browns, even if they were to make a run here, would still need a miracle. Right. But this should be setting up for these games that are going to be big time standings wise, big time, primetime TV. And, and you know, we, we think the Bengals are, are going to be good for a long time. And the Browns wouldn't have made this move if they don't think they're going to be, too. Yeah, I fully expect to see the Battle of Ohio in primetime again next year and maybe every year for the foreseeable future. Mm-hmm. It will depend on what the reaction is, you know, league-wide, countrywide with Deshaun Watson, but those games are going to be fascinating. Um, the last Bengals game, Bengals-Browns game, was in primetime. Um, it was, what, the night before the trade deadline? And there was yes, a lot of talk about – right. Yeah, a lot of talk about Kareem Hunt uh, wanting to be traded. That didn't happen. Um What's what's that been like since? Is 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 it Kumbaya? Is is he? Have they found more of a role for him alongside Nick Chubb, or how, how has that running game looked differently since the trade deadline to now? Yeah, it, it hasn't been Kumbaya, and Kareem hasn't <laughs> been as much of a factor as he was early in the year. But last week he got involved. Um, I always thought his skill set matched a more open offense. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just been circumstantial. Like I said, this, the case of the season. Um, I think a lot of times he was open and Jacoby Brissett just didn't see him or didn't get it to him, but he's still a good player. You know, is he a top 15 back in this league? Probably not anymore, but he is a great finisher of runs. He's an exceptional pass catcher out of the backfield. Um, what, what the Bengals are seeing with P Ryan right now is what Kareem Hunt can be, you know, the bigger guy who can get tough yards, but also can do things on the perimeter that a lot of smaller guys can't. So, um, they're going to need the run game. Look, the Browns want to do this RPO stuff and this read option stuff with Deshaun, but if they can't trust him to throw it or make the right read, it's going to be run. So I think you're going to see three running backs for the Browns in this game, Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, and Deshaun Watson. The other side of the ball, and there is another side of the ball when you're talking (laughs) about the Browns. Uh, Two weeks ago, you wrote about this, how they had these issues on defense and special teams that they needed to fix, and then boom, they go to Houston at Seems like it's all fixed. (laughs) You know, was that a product of playing a bad Texans team or has this team gotten better defensively and on special teams? Yeah. Um, So what made the crash after the bye week um, so disappointing is the defense had really played well, mm -hmm. played well enough to win in Baltimore and didn't and then dominated the Bengals right in in that game and came out and laid a couple of eggs. So um, 
Now they've they've bounced back with two straight really good performances, and we know Tampa is really reeling, uh, and kind of gave the game away with some management things. We know the Texans are completely helpless. I mean, they're as bad as the seventeen Browns. There is no mm-hmm. doubt. I, I've seen them both up close, right? Um, but yeah, you know, you, you force turnovers in this league, and everything gets a little more rosy. Um, and the Browns really built their defense on speed and turnovers. Now, some of that is they've paid the price with getting gashed in the run game. They, they've had to change some guys out, and they just lost their starting middle linebacker to a torn ACL in the last game. But their whole vision is to be good in the secondary, and they are good. Uh, they're capable of being great. And for Miles Garrett and Clowney to make those plays that change games. And I think the last couple of weeks we've seen that. Clowney was non-existent the first half of the year. Clowney's been a factor. And Miles, you know, Miles is so talented, Jay, that people expect him to do it all the time. And frankly, I do too sometimes, right? So this is a top five talent. And he's had some big statistical games. I think in the Tampa game, his impact was more than the statistics showed. But I mean, even if it's just one sack a game and another time he gets back there and forces an errant throw or deflects a ball, like he really changes offensive game plans. You don't have to be a film guru to look down there and say, I'm going to watch 95 this play. And the other team is using a tight end, using a running back to block him before they get into anything else. And that affects the timing of everything. And he, and he has done it all. Every, see, every time he plays the Bengals, that's, that's been the case. And that, that Bengals O-line has improved quite a bit from – not just the beginning of the year, but since mm-hmm. that that Monday night game, so that, that that's going to be a really interesting matchup to watch and see if they can finally figure out a way to slow down Miles Garrett. Um, something you alluded to when we first hopped on is how the Browns are hot now and they're going to the Super Bowl. And I know you were joking, <laughs> but it is two in a row. It's three out of five. We know what this roster is. It's a it's a quality roster. Now you got the quarterback if he shakes off the rust and, and can get it going. I mean, have you seen enough to believe that that they can? be a factor in December in the first couple of weeks of January? Yes, because I, I, well, in the here and now I can believe it because I know they can beat the Bengals. Right. Yeah. And because I, if this defense is not just blowing elementary coverages and is forcing even one turnover, they're giving themselves a chance. So um, they will carry a certain level of confidence in, into this game on both sides. You know, they will um, have a plan. I think that, that allows them to work around Deshaun not having his A game or anything close. Mm-hmm. And, and and we know how this goes. So it's a fascinating thing. Like I wasn't really wa- – I was writing, obviously, Jay. I wasn't watching Bengals Chiefs closely, but I was chuckling and when I did get to watch the last couple of minutes. And I thought, look at the Bengals with all this poise and all this firepower putting away this team. And they play the, the Browns and they, they can't do that. And obviously they played the JVs in week 18 last year. That's not what we're counting. Yeah. But last year's game in Cincinnati, I mean, when we left that game and I said, one of these teams is going to the Super Bowl, would, would there have been 1% of you that said it was going to be the Bengals? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> right? So um, they can be hard to block, right? They can be hard to tackle. Um, did, did we, me, some others, overrate some of the talent? I think top to bottom, yes. I think they had some bad moments and, and gave away a game or two, and, and those could come back to haunt them. So I don't think the Browns are going to make the playoffs, and I don't think they're going to win out. But I won't be surprised if you see a quality performance s- Sunday that at very least has this game going to the last five minutes. Well, let's put it on record then. We'll end it here with uh, what is your prediction and score for Sunday? I'm having a rough year in the prediction business, Jay. <laughs> we all are. <laughs> um, well, in the last battle of Ohio, before betting is legal in Ohio, <laughs> 
I would tend to lay the six on the Bengals because I just think the Browns offense was that bad. And I think if the mm-hmm. Bengals get the lead and I think the Bengals should be all sorts of inspired and pissed off by the last couple of events yeah. and Joe hearing that he can't beat the Browns and all of that. Right. So I would expect a competitive game, but I would end up picking something like 27, 19 Bengals. Okay. We shall see. I, I, I'm picking a good time in the press box talking to you before <laughs> kickoff, uh, looking to, to get some more stories from you from Houston. I, I thought that was a really great idea. And again, anybody that's listening to this, go check out Zach's story. It's really well done. Um, Zach, thank you for jumping on as always. And uh, we do look forward to seeing you on Sunday. I thought it, the story was a lot like the Browns trade for Deshaun Watson, a really good idea, and it turned out just to be <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, always great to catch up with Zach Jackson and everything that's happening in Cleveland. Um, Jay, takeaway? Yeah, it's more the what he did. It's more in the stands than on the field. I'm really interested to see because, as you guys heard, he went to he went to Houston. He sat in the stands to see what the reaction to Deshaun Watson was, and it was it, he, there was far less vitriol than he expected. I don't think that's going to be the case Sunday at Paycor. I just, it, the, the, this being the rivalry it is, I think fans are going to let Deshaun hear it right and left. I, I don't know uh, how many banners or signs are going to be confiscated, but it was, I, I thought it was a great idea of Zach to do that, a great story idea. And it it surprised me that that it it wasn't as fierce of a reaction. But again, I, don't think that's going to be the case Sunday at Pagor. No. Um, all right, let's get into it a little bit. Jay, Arby's time. Uh, <laughs> uh, any related Bengals insight? Insight, extras, and stories. I think I, I forgot the eye last week. It's just, it's been a long, it's been a long everything. Uh, what do you got? So, so I, you were in talking to Joe Burrow as long as, as well as the rest of the media, and, and Richard Skinner and I went over to talk to Samaj P. Ryan. It was just the two of us. And um, the first question Skinny asked, Piran says, it's been fun. And that's his answer about taking it. <laughs> and it's like, oh, this is how this is going to go. Well, it didn't. He really, really, we kept asking questions. Um, we, we got on some different topics that it really interested him. And he ended up talking for, I had, I had him for 13 minutes on my recorder. And um, one of the more interesting, I was talking to him. I just asked him his philosophy on the stiff arm and and hand placement i was just trying to get some technicalities on that and he said that that he can't do the derrick henry shoulder shoulder pad stiff arm because his arms aren't long enough and when that that one that you saw him mush justin reed in the face he said that's what he has to do his arms are shorter he's got to hit the guy in the face got to make sure he doesn't get the face mask um i just i thought it was that was interesting uh him breaking that down and then Obviously, I think uh, maybe four or five minutes at Skinny and I were talking to him by ourselves. Then Joe Burrow's news conference ended. And then the well, while Samaje was talking to us, his back was almost completely turned to us. He's kind of like talking into his locker instead of talking to us. And as more and more people came, he's like, he realized, okay, I got to turn around. There's cameras there. And uh, when it was all over, Skinny went back up to him. He's, he apologized to him. He's like, I, I thought it was just going to be the two of us. He's like, I'm sorry that went that long. I didn't expect that. And Smaj is just like, yep, part of the job. Yeah. I mean, is he, and that was part of what he talked about too, is how he and Joe are such a great fit 
where Joe is outgoing and loves to talk. And Samaje likes to sit back and just listen and, and let Joe have all the attention. And it's, it, it, it's the, the play on the field kind of mirrors their personalities as people. Yeah. I, one, one thing I've found there's always, you know, different personality types. You never know as far as how to talk to them, when, where you, how these conversations typically work, get the best stuff, mm-hmm. whatever. Samaje is the ultimate. He just needs to get his stretch in, like his yeah. interview stretch. Like <laughs> he needs, you give two minutes of him kind of warming up to the concept of actually having a talk. And then once he, once he's kind of stretched out, you know, he goes and it's, mm. and he's great. Uh, and then a lot of us that way, I'm like that. Like sometimes, you know, sometimes I'm just like, yeah, yeah. I don't know if I really would. All right. If you want to talk, I got a story, right? Like it's just, <laughs> sometimes it just takes you a little while to get in the groove. He's kind of like that. And I feel, I always feel like every single time I'd ever talk to him, um, he would always be like, why do you want to talk to me? Like, why well, I don't, I don't want to be like, look, you are relevant. And I really enjoy talking to you uh, once we get past the first two minutes and we warm it up. It's great. And so uh, Samaje is kind of that way. I, I enjoy that. The, uh, standing back, it was kind of funny yesterday because you look back and you're like, okay, everyone is around Samaje Pirine, Mitch Wilcox, and Trenton <laughs> Irwin has a couple of people. We've reached that point in the program yeah. where these are the stories. These are the evolving stories. And that's some, that says something about uh, the job that the Bengals personnel have done in keeping these guys around and pinpointing who the role players who could bubble up could be the coachings, the coaches, the position coaches in those rooms for keeping those guys involved and them becoming a storyline. And Mitch Wilcox, you know, is the latest he'll be, you know, everybody had very great things to say about Mitch Wilcox and who he's been and what he's going to be because they need him now. Uh, so a lot, um, a lot going on there. All right, let's get into a Bengals growler bet. Uh, we had no winner last week. We're going to kind of stick around in the mix and Pirine conversation, Jay. Well, Bengals growler bet, obviously send your answers to me, uh, pdaner at theathletic.com, or to us on Twitter, hashtag Bengals growler bet. Just know if you email me, I need the word growler in the subject header somewhere. If you use something clever and fun, <laughs> I will really enjoy it. It will make me happy, and maybe I'll give you the Ray White treatment and read your subject header on on air if it makes me laugh. So or we're going to do a two-prong one this week. Yeah. And it's it's differential in touches between Pirine and Mixon. So if you think it's going to be Mixon 18 and Pirine 12, then your guess there is Mixon by six. And then it's also, also differential in yards. So you have to pick which player is going to have more touches and what that number is or what the differential is and which player is going to have more yards and what the differential is there. And it's scrimmage yards. It's not just rushing yards. So touch differential, scrimmage yards differential for Joe Mixon, Samaje P. Ryan on Sunday against the Browns is this week's Bengals growler bet. All right, Jay, what do you got? Um, I'm going to go Mixon by eight touches and – Mixon by 28 yards. Okay. Uh, I'm going to say Mixon plus 12, and I'm going to say Mixon by 54. Woo. Big game for Joe or nothing for Piran? Okay. No, I think think big game for Joe. I think big game for Joe Mixon. Um, 
this is what happens, right? You remember it was the last time he played a full game. Everyone was crushing him during the week, right? Yeah. And he went out and went bananas. <laughs> okay. So now another couple of weeks of people taking shots and talking about Samaj P. Ryan, even though the last game he played, he had 200 plus scrimmage yards and five touchdowns. Uh, the Browns have certainly had many long stretches of not being the greatest rush defense this year. The way the Bengals offense is going. Jamar's back. Feels like a good day for Joe Mix. That's just it's just my personal opinion, and I'm entitled to it. Same both, way. Yes. Go I was ahead. Gonna, both Joe Mixon and Samaj P. Ryan with their career high in scrimmage yards in their last full games. Yes. Mixon's 211 against Atlanta was his high, and Samaj's 155 last week was his high. Hmm. It, it, you're tr- it's like you're trying to tell me who's back there doesn't really matter that much, Jay. <laughs> kind of does sound that way. Is that is that something that's been you know <laughs> said by a lot of people for a very long time about the running back position? Yeah. Okay. Don't pay him. Just checking. All right. Well, they, they probably won't. So anyway, <laughs> let's go. Uh, I've got oh I've got stats, Jay. Oh I, yes. I've got I've got win streak stats. Trivia for you and if, okay. to to our listeners out here. See if see how you do. I have losing streak trivia for you, so we'll, wow. we'll do this. We'll bookend this. Look at us go. Look at us go. Okay, I've got to find it here. So the Bengals are on a four game win streak right now. Uh, In game win streaks. First of all, do you know what is the longest in or excuse me in season win streak? What, do you know what is the longest? in-season win streak in Bengals franchise history. I mean, I would I would guess the 8 to start the 15 season. Correct. Okay. Very well done. How many in-season win streaks longer than 4, 5 or more? How many in-season win streaks of 5 or more have there been in Bengals franchise history? Well, I know they started six and zero in eighty eight. Um, maybe one other one, maybe three total. Eight. Wow, there's actually been eight. That's correct. Now, some we're going back the seventies. People forget how strong the Bengals were in the seventies. Uh, a seven game win streak in nineteen seventy. Oh, that's right. Uh, the first six to start eighty eight, as you mentioned, a six game win streak in seventy five. Uh, Kenny and Isaac Curtis had it cooking at that point. Uh, 73, they had six in a row as well. Uh, 2011, the Bengals won five in a row. People might forget that as the defense was playing very well in their kind of Andy Dalton rookie year breakout season. 1981, of course, uh, five in a row in the uh, Super Bowl season. 1976, five in a row. But so there you go. Since 2000, this would only be, well, really before that night. You can always go back all the way back to 1990, of course. Uh, it would be only the third time if they can make it happen here on Sunday that they have won five in a row. So we know they've lost five in a row to the Browns. I was curious where that ranks in their longest losing streaks against a single opponent. And it's, it, it's they actually have two current five game losing streaks against a, an opponent. They've lost five in a row to the Cowboys, um, which is an active streak. 
but what do you think the longest losing streak is against a single opponent? A single opponent? Yes. The Steelers, probably, yeah. right? Um, eight? It was 11. 11? From 2015 to 2020. Yeah. Till Ryan Finley rescued them from that hell. Was it eleven in a row? Yeah, I I, yeah. I should have known that. I've I've documented that many times. <laughs> uh I it ended at eleven. You're right. I I blew that. I should have known that. They um, uh they also had a 10 game streak against the Bills. This isn't even the longest losing streak they've had against the Browns. They have a seven game losing streak against the Browns in that dark decade of the nineties from ninety two to ninety five. So um no one wants to see this losing streak continue but if it does it's it's got a ways to go to reach historic proportions okay run passer boot for sunday if you want to uh you know come up with some good game conversation with your buddies while you're hanging out at the tailgate and or you want to you know you wanna, maybe you want to play some sort of maybe fictional or real wager on something like this we got one for you okay yeah run pass or boot what will be higher Deshaun Watson passer rating, Joe Burrow completion percentage, Bengals penalty yards. Okay, Jay, you've got some background on all those stats. Yeah, so Watson had a 53.4 last week in his return from the suspension. That was his career low. Um, the Bengals were one of the fewest penalized teams in the league last year and again this year until recently, but they've been on a bender of late. Um 80, 80 yards, 80 penalty yards against the Titans was their season high. 65 last week against the Chiefs was their third highest. So they've, they've, they've get, that's something they need to cut down. Um, the borough completion percentage, you kind of know where that's, where that's going to be. So this is all about those other two. Um, I'm going to run with Watson passer rating. I don't think he's going to be great. But I think he's going to he can at least be in the 80s and it's going to be really hard for Burrow to be in the 80s. So um, I'll run with run with Watson. I'll pass on Burrow and I'll boot the penalty yards. I I think they'll get back to to a little more disciplined team. I mean, the taunting penalty by Jamar Chase, the uh, DJ reader headbutt for the unnecessary roughness. Those are things that are pretty easy to clean up. Yeah, the big you, you just don't they could get hit with some sort of long PI, yeah. but you know, as little as Watson actually threw the ball down the field uh last game, you know, you feel like not a good chance, you know, maybe there's not even a chance that, that happens. I'm so I'm with you. I'm gonna boot the penalty yards. However, I'm gonna run with Burrow completion percentage uh and pass on Watson's pass rating because look, I listen to Zach Jackson. Okay. And we just heard Zach talk about he was bad. He was really bad. The concept that he is going to suddenly take some massive jump and not look still pretty bad again this week, if that's how he looked against the friggin' Texans, um, I, you know, I, I don't think Watson's going to play well at all in this game. I think maybe eventually he gets it back to a level before this season ends that, that gets them feeling better about where, what they have done to themselves morally and financially uh with this deal but i don't think it's going to be this week uh so i'm gonna that's why i'm gonna pass on the watson pass rating i think it'll be a rough day for him okay predictions time 
Uh, unless I did, I skip over something. I don't want to leave anything out this time, Jay. Did I skip over anything? No, I think we've got I, the the Browns have a lot, a lot of long passes against the Bengals. Um, and you're right, Watson's longest pass last week was 17 yards. They just did not go down the field at all. Air so, yards, the, like attempt, right? Yeah, yeah, he didn't even right. attempt to throw down right. the field. Yeah, those were his. That's where the passes were targeted. So, um, but they the the Browns have hit the Bengals with a lot of long passing yards during this eight of nine losing streak against them. Um, So that it's one of those things is going to end. And and I'm with you. I don't I don't know that that Watson's going to be able to to torch them down the field. It's gonna it's going to be a what we always think it is in these games and that's stopping the run DJ readers back. That's the big difference from that, that first game. Um, yes. Jamar chase back is back as well. Um, but I, I think readers presence is, is really going to lift this defense. If you know, you don't have to worry about the deep shots that have, have burned them in the past. And I think that's a reason they have burned them in the past is they've sold out so much to stop the run that um, they can feel more comfortable doing that. I think it's going to be a, a low scoring game. I think we're going to see quite a few field goals. Um, I'm going Bengals 23 Browns 13. Okay. Um, well, because we have to pick together, Jay, I, I also have the Bengals winning. <laughs> yes. I won't spoil that, but uh I think they score a little bit more. I, I think you're right. They think they treat this a little bit like the Titans game. Stop the run. Force Watson to sh- prove that he can figure things out uh, in his second game in a couple of years. Um, and and hope that you can get some some turnovers off of that. And get play from ahead. Not have it where you just constantly found yourself against the Browns. Having to stop Nick Chubb and let Miles Garrett tee off. It's just the worst thing you can do. That uh, As much as against any team got to get ahead we say that a lot we've said that a lot about this team but it has proven correct and it's specifically correct this week to avoid it looking like it did on the nightmare and halloween so uh i think they do uh i think you mentioned reader i certainly i think that they uh will be good enough uh, against chubb who they really were pretty good against last time for yeah. the most part um contained him about as much as you could hope to certainly good enough to win in that regard uh the rest of it just wasn't so good so I've got Bengals 28, Browns 17, uh, and, you know, a, a, a interception or two from Watson kind of ended up being the difference in this one. All right, that will wrap us up. You will next hear from us on Sunday night. And you know what it is on Sunday, Jay? Sunday at one. Yes. Oh, oh Sunday thank at one. How much I love you. And at uh, home. Yes, home Sunday at one, just as good as it gets. So uh, we'll have the the walk out to you uh, well before you decide to pass out while trying to stay up for the Sunday night game. Uh, And to keep an eye out for that, we look forward to it. Hope everyone enjoys this weekend in Cincinnati and, and that the boo is everything you hope it will be. So thanks, everybody, for listening. We will talk to you on Sunday night. Have a good one, everybody. 